Hello to your listener. Just a quick word before we get started. I thought you should know that there's a couple of curse words that have made it through the edit into this episode. So if you've got young children present while you're listening, you might need to cough strategically. Okay, onward. Hello, this is Sophia, and I'm so glad you've found your way to my place where art and grief meet. So welcome to episode number nine, number nine, number nine, as the Beatles sang on their White Album. And then, of course, on Let It Be, there was the one after 909. So we've got a, a bit to go before we get to episode 909. But anyway, eating the elephant one mouthful at a time. So why have I got the Beatles on my mind? Well, it's not just the Beatles. It's actually the soundtrack of my life. And... My special guest today is the driving force behind some of the most significant music of my 20s, my 30s, not so much my 40s because I didn't listen to a lot of music then, but definitely my now. Tim Rogers first came to my attention as frontman of UMI, which is something he still does. Um, UMI is an Australian music group. I sound like Ed Sullivan in introducing the Beatles. Anyway, he is, he's also a broadcaster, he's an author, he's a poet, he's a lyricist. I mean, he's a creative in every possible way. And God bless him, he didn't know who I was or what I was doing or what this was all about, but he still agreed to come and talk to me, well, for us to do a Zoom. And And I'm very grateful. I explained to Tim what it's all about at the beginning of the conversation, so I'll leave that in, and and I'm I'm just really happy to bring to you the conversation between Tim Rogers and me. Hello. Can you see me? Yeah, I I don't do video. Oh, okay, cool. That's fine. I'm going to turn mine off then too. I should have stayed in bed. (laughs) (laughs) Getting out of of bed is uh, is the first priority in the morning it should be. Well, it, I, I'm an early riser, so yeah. I, yeah, me, me too. Me too. Strangely enough, but um, <laughs> it gets commented on uh, when walking through the town, and people say, "Oh, aren't you a rock and roller? What are you doing up this early?" And my mm. response will always be, "Well, you're presupposing that I've actually gone to bed." Yeah. But, uh, I mean, no, no, no. Early mornings can be a really beautiful time. Well, for me, actually, I don't know if I'm just um, taking over where my dad left off, who was a fish merchant, and so he he was oh, an wow. early riser. But oh, um, particularly since he died, I am I'm up at five thirty every day, and um, I have to say the sunrise this morning was gorgeous. Yeah, we were um, we're out in the country, out in country Victoria, and uh, they're spectacular. Out here, yeah. so um, we we try and make sure that we get a little bit of it, despite what we've whatever we've done the night before. Just try and catch a little bit of it. You know, yeah, it's, um, that, that's the not. the payoff for it being fucking freezing. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's any consolation, it's fucking freezing in Templestowe as well. So there you ah, go. Ah, Templestowe. All right, all right. Now I've got the geographical yeah. reference. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, thank you so much for making the time to come and talk to me. I really appreciate it. 
My pleasure to hear. Um, just so you know where I'm coming from with this project, in my life there's been a lot of grief but also um, circumstances that have meant that where you would normally have a trajectory, I've had to veer off and go in a different direction. And what I've learned, uh, particularly from losing my dad at the beginning of COVID, is that there was a perception that creativity was stifled by grief. Um, That exists in my home because my mum, since my brother died, is not able to create. She doesn't make stuff. She was a painter. And she yeah. just hasn't painted since dad, um, since my brother died. But for me, the minute my dad died, I was I started painting for the first time in my life, and it's and I do every day, and it's just become the most important thing. Apart, I mean, I've got a child and all that, but in terms of <laughs> for myself, it's my thing. So I wanted to talk to creative people about how they manage these sorts of situations, not necessarily death, but how do you negotiate um, and exploit the creative spaces that are um, created by life and circumstance? Mm. I see you, um, and this is a thing, and I'll stop talking in a sec. I don't know if you know the author Elizabeth Strout. Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, so I love her work and part Mm. of what I love about her work is that it's almost impossible to imagine that she is not the characters that she writes. They are so whole and complete and Mm -hmm. um, they just feel completely autobiographical but then there's another one and they're different but they also Mm. have a similar feel. So as a person who has consumed your music for many years, I feel like that you put you lay it all on the table when you um, when you perform and when you write, but it feels like it's very personal, and I'm wondering how you negotiate that, but also what what's the the foundation of your creativity in terms of where you, where it came from with your mm. family and stuff. So that's where I'm coming from. Mm. Um, so firstly. Did you have a creative family and did they value creativity? No, I think they were they were intrigued and my mum and dad, when they were together, they enjoyed, whether it was theatre or definitely music, they weren't musicians themselves. They had both great singers, but they, they weren't musicians at, at all. Uh, uh, they encouraged things, but I think they, they were suburban Melbourne kids and didn't have a great um, catalogue of, of reference. Mm-hmm. But we were ABC kids, uh, mm-hmm. which is the, the term that we used back then, that um, uh, we didn't watch commercial TV unless it was Paul Hogan. Uh, and so there was the, I think they were aspirational. Uh-huh. Uh, culturally uh, to, to a point. Um, and so if we wanted to pursue anything creative that was encouraged, but I, I think they were at a bit of a loss in how to to do it apart from just a pat on the back and a, oh. and a sandwich in your back pocket, uh, which because we kind of came from a sporting family. My dad my dad was a sportsman. and oh. um, But, they were, they, they, yeah, there was no curtailing of, of any um, wish to, become creative um yeah. there was no thought about writing 
either prose, poetry or songs as a kid. That all kind of came later. I'd, I'd put it down to, a, a, I guess, a nervous breakdown I had when I was about 20. I was playing in rock bands and uh, going to law school in Canberra and oh, okay. had already shown glimpses of or had episodes <clears throat> um, in the three years previous that showed I was all not well, oh. but uh, started playing in, in rock and roll bands because that's what we did, um, but it didn't view it as being creative. It was just an excuse to, to get drinks and, and make a racket. Yeah, yeah. My response of yeah, yeah, here is somewhat bewildering to me now that I listen back to our conversation because in the same way that some people think that drawing like a maniac is something that everybody does just to do it and they don't see it as being a sign of a creative spirit, Tim talking about and dismissing his first dabblings in rock bands just to what did he say get drinks and make a racket is a sign of creativity not everybody can do that but I didn't explore it at the time and I wish I had but anyway I'm saying it now back to the conversation Uh, and then when after the, the breakdown of sorts and everything kind of collapsed and was very heavily medicated for a couple of years, slowly started to get some relief really from from working a bit on songs, both musically and lyrically. And but I think as far as writing writing creatively, that happened a lot later on that timeline, I guess maybe around 27 or 28. Okay. 29. Uh, because before that, it was just emoting and writing songs that had some kind of syntax to go with the, the music because it was the mu- the music and the, the loudness and the rock and roll was the only really important thing. Again, I'm not quite sure why Tim differentiates between the songwriting and music making he did immediately following or during his mental illness and what came later. This was a huge missed opportunity in our conversation that I didn't go down that pathway. But to be honest with you, I was so focused on listening to what he was saying and not interrupting that I missed the opportunity. So Tim, if you're ever up for part two, I'm all ears and interruptions. Okay, back to Tim. Yeah, my, my, I mean, just to flesh it out, my sister was a, and is an, an actor and a, and a voice coach, mm-hmm. uh, director, uh, and my brother has massive cultural brain and a, and a love and enthusiasm, and he's, he's a literature teacher these days. And, um, it wasn't really there when we were kids. I guess we were too busy moving around, peripatetic childhood, mm. uh, but there were often good records around, Not not a lot of books, but... Uh, that would have been encouraged. I, I didn't start reading much until, again, until my late 20s, even though I studied literature and, and went to law school. I, I kind of just bluffed my way through it. Yeah, yeah. So it happened quite quite late, really. But it's kind of interesting because I think, like, I didn't start painting until my dad died and I was 52. And I have um, 
but I've always sort of had a creative vein that's um, flowed through everything, everything that I've ever done. Yeah. But the, I think the expectation was like, even though my brother was a musician and he was never going to be anything other than a musician, like mm-hmm. that was the thing that heck was. With um, with me, and I don't know if it was cultural because I was a girl or what it was, but I was always like fulfilling other people's expectations, service, all that sort of stuff. So I was like mm. an executive secretary and all that. But when I look back, I can see that the the thread of of creativity was always there and being 20 is you're still a baby like it's it's still mm. the the beginnings of of coming into yourself so I don't sort of see that as um delayed onset in any way when I hear your story no, it's interesting what she watching and listening to what my daughter does she has lived in New York since she was 10 she's yeah. 22 now mm-hmm. uh, and she's recording herself and is doing it at a, at a rate where she just I think she has vague ambitions but n- not in the way that she has the the ambition comes before the the creation mm. uh, her stepdad owns a recording studio and so her doing that at, and as she's about to turn 22 it feels right mm. um, and I guess that <clears throat> being not, not surrounded by but but hearing stories of prodigies and and uh, having friends who, who their creative button was pushed really early. Mm. Um, I see for myself that, that I didn't have a creative button to, to push. Yes, now I'm all boldness and interruptions. Isn't it fascinating that Tim talks about not having a creative button to press when creativity was really a mechanism for him to come into himself and... It was obviously there all along, although for some reason he dismisses the significance of his early dabblings in music making and writing. Maybe it's because he didn't think that the material he produced was of value and he's linking creativity to the outputs instead of creativity being about the process. This is a conversation that I would like to have with him Tim, an invitation for you to return and continue down this pathway with me stands in perpetuity. All right, back to the conversation at hand. Um, when I was a, a teenager or younger, do you know it's interesting that you say about that you, and possibly it was a cultural um, g- gender thing, but encouraged into servitude or service at least rather than yeah. being the... Um, the one that who's you know whether it's creative or um, sporting whatever be be fostered as a as a as a kid, whereas maybe your brother was or mm. um, I don't I don't think that I don't think that it was it was definitely not a conscious thing and and as I watched my dad evolve um, and he was an evolving human. And, and an incredible human, but he was um, evolving throughout. He died when he was 81. He, I don't think he realised how much he, um, his expectations of me. It was like, Hector, he's, 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 uh, he's musical, but Sophie, she's capable. That was, that was the word that was used for me. And he didn't, he was a musician himself and he mm. was very much a feminist, but he didn't yeah. understand how his ex the weight of his expectations and me wanting to please him 
were um, charted a lot of my trajectory. And even though I left home when I was 17 and even though I had a whole life outside of what my parents would have thought was acceptable, Mm. I I ended up pregnant, single, in another country, and I had to come back to Australia and live with my dad when I was Mm. 38. And But it, it gave my dad and I completely different ground to start a relationship from Mm. and he I didn't have that feeling from him anymore that I had to that I had to bend not bend but that I had to um suppress anything I could just be was Mm. really was it was a critical critical juncture that he always he actually when push came to shove always accepted I just think I feared that he wouldn't because of how I'd been how he was when I was younger and he wasn't well. So mm. anyway, it was a whole mm. a whole thing. I do think it's interesting, like you say, the 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 possible cultural implications of um, boys being able to do what they want to do and and yeah. um, girls having a different experience. Because we are because my sister has, has far exceeded myself as far as um, what she does creatively and still does. Mm. And uh I should have a the, the proper perspective on this, but but my own one was that we were encouraged equally. But mm. again, I, I can't speak for her. But we, our dad died last year, oh, September September two, and when at the time, I guess that I felt ready to really um, include him in. Anything that I was doing, and mm-hmm. and even even just come on tour with me a little bit and yeah. get into trouble and um and really talk about things. By the time that happened, he was too sick, or um I think he had a pretty major depression going on, um and really when I wanted to to include him in that in that conversation, and and I spoke to, speak to my sister about this quite a bit because she really wanted. And I know Dad was very proud of her, but uh, he needed care, and and um, so we couldn't kind of get access to full access to him. Which and that's no criticism of the, the, the particularly his uh, his wife who was caring for him, uh, oh. um, and so so well, and gave him great comfort and joy. But yeah, just couldn't kind of. Um, access him in a way there, there was part of him that had closed off mm. years before and, and um i was just speaking to my wife last night actually when i mean speaking about that whether you're uh getting licensed to do something she was asking me about a record i just finished mm. and uh, it's coming out soon and uh as i was telling her i realized that oh, geez we're going into uncharted I haven't spoken to this about anyone, even the band that I was playing with whilst recording these songs, and, and it was shocking to me how uh, exposing they are. Mm. And I, at a point after the fifth glass last night, I, I kind of wanted to call the producer and go, cancel everything. This is now this is it's too um, much. Oh, yeah, it's it's too much, and and. Uh, but it was it was too late. It's already at the uh, at the mastering studio. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm sorry that you're outside <laughs> your comfort zone. Yeah, you know, you've always given us that impression, though, that 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 you're not 
you're not holding back. So it, it, it's, it's, it's not. It's, mirrors, not, it's worked very well. It's it's not courage. I think it's a. It's definitely not courage, and it, when it gets suggested that that's that's a brave thing to do, it, it it's absolutely not that. It's a I think an unawareness or a, um, a lack of awareness. I think of of the possible implications. I find it kind of perplexing that the thought of not holding yourself back and telling people how you feel that doing that is a courageous act. I don't think about it that way at all. I just think about it as being unbridled and being free and being honest. But I'm wondering if there is some sort of a cultural divide with myself who has a Hellenic background and expression and Tim who has an Anglo background and um, expression And so we view exposing the truth of ourselves and the truth of our feelings with a very different set of eyes and with different um, perceived motivation. Just an observation. Something more to explore in part two, Tim. Um, And I think that I've I've hurt people in the past and, and may in the future by including them in whatever it is I'm writing music or prose and forgetting that it's not just uh, that there aren't implications for it and I should have maybe either warned or uh, consulted with those people because it seems, I mean, I have a fear when I wake up in, in these, with the realisation that I'm possibly using relationships past and present, mm. uh, you know, whether it's writing about my dad or, or romantic relationships or my daughter or um, yeah but <clears throat> writing music about these situations is the only opportunity i've got to make sense of it i mean particularly grief which is the the most yeah. uh, i mean as you know very well it just takes your legs out from under you and mm. when uh losing a very 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 close friend uh, early and uh, I guess when the band sort of started and writing songs about that situation, it didn't, well, in a way it kind of romanticised it but it eulogised that person uh, and it has a just, it's a way of making sense of it really. Um, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, of course, I have to look at it and go, well, hang on, am I, am I using this situation, you know, and, and use the phrase cashing in before I know that you you don't mean that literally. Well, I, hope, no. uh, I think, um, but if cashing in means that you can make sense of it and live with it because... Mm, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Grief is just Utilizing. so... Utilising. That's what Utilizing. I mean. Utilising. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so baffling that and uh, you don't get used to it. I was, again, speaking with my wife about the grief of losing a parent and and she's very close to her parents and I said, well, darling, there's really no way you can prepare yourself for it. Uh, you will experience it and it'll be unique and um, I recommend uh, reading a lot if you can or or utilising that in, in, in her art uh, just as a way of making sense. It doesn't doesn't eradicate the feeling, but Christ, it, it certainly 
puts things in a little bit of order, oddly yeah. enough. I mean, well, also no it matter. shifts. It's always shifting and having that moment in time or that expression captured allows you then to also look back later and say, that's where I was and this is where I am now. It's like a snapshot. It's Oh, that's a good point. Wow. It's a very yeah. it's it's a it's a very precious capacity. Um what comes from it is very precious is what I'm trying to say because not just to you as a person, but as a person who consumes uh, art and music and whatever. It's like, like if you think about the soundtrack of your life, and the, the space that all of those songs occupy, you know, it's more than just the song. It's it's I was in the common room at school or I was whatever, the, all of those things inhabit. When you can make something that represents that for you, that is amazing, but it also allows you to connect with other people. And those connections are incredibly individual, but but they are also bring us as, as human beings close together. And I think that's part of why art is so important. And I'm not talking about represent, representative art. I'm talking about art that comes from life. Hmm. I'll think about that today, Sophie. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, this is part of what I'm discovering in, in yeah. the, in this exploration. And, and the other thing that's come out of it that you might, that might give you some food for thought. I know it's really uh, occupied a lot of my headspace is before um, uh, my dad died and probably before my brother died, I didn't have any real tolerance for abstraction in terms of abstract art or, you know, poetry that didn't, that wasn't explicit. Like I just... I was like, if you want to say something, just say it so that I can understand what you're saying. I wanted to connect. I wanted to understand. So I wanted to understand what the artist's intention was when I looked at their work. Since I've had to deal with the death of these very close people in my life, I have real, I have this openness to accepting things that I don't understand and that I can't understand. And I have to make my own I have to join the dots in my own way and accept that it might be just me that sees it that way. Mm. What, what, what do you think? Uh, I think that's that's very interesting. I'm, you can't help but reflect upon my own experience while wanting to acknowledge yours. Uh, I, I, <laughs> my first thought was that, geez, I've been listening to a lot more progressive rock. Ah. Uh, <laughs> early early Genesis and uh, Yes and Gentle Giant have been the soundtrack now. That's, yeah. I, I don't think that's quite, you know, songs about demons and wizards and, uh, hmm. um, uh, you know, sort of 16th century British farming moors. Um, it's not really abstract, but um, definitely uh, feel more attuned. I'm going to do beg your pardon for this tired old trope but um attuned to nature mm. uh, it's when for example dad died last year and uh couldn't get back to victoria i was in tasmania yeah my um, wife was working on a ballet down there and and uh i was down there with her and uh couldn't get back for the funeral and 
So what us Rogerses do when in times of grief or sadness or relation, the first thing we do is, is drink very heavily. And so I did, but I was in, in the middle of um, the Tasmanian wilderness. And so the drinking didn't stop, but gee, it was, it, I was so glad that I was um, amongst the wilderness. Yeah. And very soon after moved uh, out to the country and, um, now I don't know. I don't think that's a. Re- I think there's a lot going on there, and mm. not just um, losing dad, but uh, it feels confluent mm. at the very least. Mm. Uh, I haven't found with visual arts uh, that same experience, right. Sophia, as as you're having. But uh, that's very interesting. Again, um, I'll be, I'll be thinking about that because. Right. In front of a Rosk a Rothko or two, and see how you feel about them. I, I was way. talking about Rothko the other day. We, we were, and it was just at looking at a landscape, and I mentioned Rothko. There were <laughs> just uh, these undulating hills near where we are, and they were in these different shades. And it was almost like a, a not a triptych, but a that uh, three panel wow. <laughs> Rothko okay. thing. And um, so I think my comment, typical thuggish way was, hey, why would we bother going back to New York to see a Rothko when we've got one just outside our window? Come on. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. You know, this week my cousin actually just moved to a place and it's so it's um, they're on acreage and they're off the green and it's fantastic and this is where my son and I are going to end up as well. And and um, it's uh, the, the, the thing is that, going back to my dad, is that he never, he was always interested in people and he didn't really pay that much attention to nature because he was always like, I don't care about going to places, I care about connecting with people. He was interested. Mm. But when he was in the last years of his life, his world became quite small and he was always happiest sitting in on the couch in front of this huge picture window we have and there's an almond tree and he um he would just watch the birds Mm. and for him to have this really immersive relationship with with what was going on outside that window was so different from how he like he'd actually kind of before been quite off dismissive well, not mm. that he didn't like nature, not that he wasn't very loving of our animals, but it was just to have this, watch him have this peace because of the animals, uh, the birds mm. and the tree and the leaves and the way the seasons passed was quite different for him and, and beautiful mm. to watch. I've got to admit that uh, at least a couple of times a day when I am at home, which because um, of work at the moment is rare but looking out the back window at the dozens of kangaroos yeah. who congregate all day in our back back space here uh, and thinking that I would have loved that for for dad yeah uh, when he was going and for any of uh, yeah my friends who are ill or, or passing and and ones who currently are as well to say um, take a look out there I mean um, it's what I spend uh, any day I'm at home a lot of yeah. my time doing. There's yeah. 
it's not like there's a shortage of things to be done. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, um, it's but, like having a new baby. You just want to gaze. Yeah, I won't tell that to a, to a, <laughs> a new mother, but uh, <laughs> um, I made a terrible uh, analogy in the um, as I was coming out of the, my last um, COVID bout, uh, making an analogy about um, forgetting the pain of, uh, childbirth. Of, uh, childbirth, yeah, and I, even I can't, even, I feel like I can't even repeat it because, of course, there's absolutely no comparison. But just that forgetting the the, mm. well, not forgetting, but but the the the, the pain uh, of what's happened, and <clears throat> suddenly that goes right into the background. And idiot, idiot, <laughs> he said, "Well, you know, it was, it wasn't great, but now, you know, I look back and I think it wasn't that bad." <laughs> Then I slipped out the immortal uh, analogy, and and as I did, I could feel myself grasping for a knife, or I could slit my own throat. You know, this, <laughs> don't, don't even think that, let alone say it. It's just so damn stupid. But um, yeah, I haven't I haven't had the virus yet here, um, and uh, I wonder if um, even in that little experience of, of discomfort, whether uh, you know the the roos and the the trees and the the kookaburras and all my mates, my my new conversational mm. uh, little little connuscenti, <laughs> whether they would provide some support. I'm digging myself a hole, Sophia. I'm no, no. They, let me just tell you. I think it's part of the fact that that while you're going through all of that shit, the fact that they continue and it's like the waves. They just keep doing their thing and they're there and. They're doing their stuff. It's 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 all good, and and they are healing to whoever who will be healed by them. But um, mm. one thing that I, I that what you said about not being able to make it to your dad's funeral, mm-hmm. we actually didn't have a funeral for dad because mm. he died on the first day of lockdowns, mm-hmm. and um, I think that I'd been looking after him at home so it was a very intense um year or so l- leading up to his his death mm. and when he did die like literally no one was allowed to come to the house we were we just weren't allowed to do anything and mm. then it was kind of like well the first anniversary we'll do something and then i just i think that i've just been so overwhelmed um, and I just, I just haven't been able to put anything together, and I feel awful because this man made such a difference to so many people's lives, and he needs to be honoured in a formal kind of way. And I was thinking that what I'm going to do is on the third anniversary of his death, which is in March, which this project will still be running for, I'm going to commemorate him for that month and I'm going to somehow incorporate a, whether it's a funeral service or whether it's a Zoom or something that will last for eternity on the interwebs um, mm. to honour him because I don't I don't think we ever do in my family. We cosmoses don't do anything conventionally and I think that this is the only way I can um, get my head around actually honouring his life appropriately. Mm. Um, like when my brother died, we could, we put on a massive concert at Brunswick Town Hall and mm. the place was full and it was just this massive 
event. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what you'd need for dad. But I just, I, I can't do it. I just don't feel like I can. So yeah, we've, we've had a similar conversation around, uh, around my dad. Between us kids, we do want something. Um, but I think that dad's wife can see that it'll end up in a typical Rogers fashion, which will be, yeah. uh, you know, um, yeah, awake. But, but what I was going to say for you is that as uncomfortable or or revealing as this piece of work that you've created just now is and you're saying that it's raw and that it's it's full of the stuff, maybe that's part of how you are doing it in the Tim Rogers way anyway. Well, yeah, there was a, a song that I started in, in response to just trying to make sense of, you know, the experience of um, Dad going, yeah. even though I'd been sick for a very long while. Yeah. But when I played it to uh, the band I'm making the record with and, and uh, it doesn't get revealed until the very last line that it's about Dad. It's yeah. it's a different kind of um, writing, um, maybe Subtlety. I thought I'd try subtlety for once in my life and for the first time. Um, and so it's almost if you're not paying attention, it, it could just be a, uh, a song about contemplativeness or a, yeah. a scene in front of you. And, and uh, then the violin player, Jen, said, did, did I just hear what you said? And uh, I said, well, this is the lyric. And she just started crying and, and uh, said, fuck, that bad, eh? But um, <laughs> when uh, I don't think I'm going to tell the family that, hey, listen to this song, it's about Dad, mm. and, and just kind of leave that because as you said uh, before, Sophia, that I'll be able to listen back to that song and, and whether I play it or not, I'll be able to go, oh, that was how I was feeling then because yeah. it really is all about the, the moment um, of uh, the anniversary of his death and and that's kind of enough. Um, so rather than sticking a flag in, uh, in the ground and going, this is the way I feel about my father. And yeah, oh, no. Is, uh, to just um, leave it as it is, which is being in this kind of odd uh, having an odd listenership where you, you at times you think that no absolutely no one is listening and then one day you'll be walking in the local town and someone will pull you up and say hey I, I like what you did mm. um then um so you can kind of not think about it um a viewership or a readership or a listenership but you, they're just what they are and, and your way of um the, the way that you see the world and uh, there's a it's frustrating because I love more people that (laughs) enjoy what I do but it really does give you a bit of freedom and I've got friends who are extraordinarily successful at what they do artistically and as much as they admit it I don't know whether they could could create without thinking about their audience and Mm. um, to anyone starting out in music and, and if they ever ask me for any advice it's it's um forget about the promotion you know you're always being encouraged oh, to promote 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 and tweet this and instagram this and mm. if you've got to do make the art that that fulfills you or 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 
somehow lessens your despair or mm-hmm. um, I know okay. in period, periods of it, the worst depressions, the only thing that the image that I need to get in my head is the, the red desk where I write it. And I think, well, if I, at least if I can uh, write with music, prose, whatever, I know that, that that's going to be the, the only way out of um, mm. the, the darker holes. Yeah, look, the thing is, I always go back to the Beatles and they didn't give a fuck about what anyone thought. They were exploring their exploration. They were doing what they needed to do and luckily they had uh, the machinery in place sort of despite itself to be able to survive and continue to do what they were doing. But as, like, they were the first artists that I ever I ever followed and I, I followed them fanatically. And I just think that um, you you see these virtuoso children who are, you know, six years old playing incredibly on the piano or whatever, but it's not an expression. It's just a technique. It's just, it's like, it's like a machine. It's a function. And not that there is an amazement that comes from that, but that's not what I'm seeking as a human being who's seeking connection who's seeking um the stuff of life that's not what that is what I want to see from artists is an expression of themselves at that moment in time and I mean I'm sure you know you've experienced many aspects of of grief and loss and adversity in your life and you realize that everything in life changes including how you feel about things and just to have those snapshots or those expressions is is enough in themselves. Mm, the the, um, the virtuosic and, and if you often uh, uh, my experience to music, it's recitation. I, I think there's definitely. Uh, I don't want to ignore that there can be great succor and 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 um, fulfilment with that. Uh, I do think that sometimes. Um, well. I'm not quite sure how I feel about it because as a, as a non-musicology um, isn't my thing and I'm not a dexterous musician at all. And But I don't want to think that there, there can be nothing to come from really practising and, and learning. And, and one day I will. I mean, you know, vaguely studying jazz and, and um, other music forms uh, because I don't want to just think, hey, I'll just get by on three chords and... and um, yeah. And songs about drinking, but the uh, my wife's a ballet choreographer and and a former dancer, and the way that she uh, choreographs and the way that she she dances and and the way that she gets pieces together, it's a conversation that's a baffling one between us both because I don't um, know the language of dance, and uh, but watching her expressions through other dancers and also through mm. her own uh, dance, even though she's retired now. Um, I don't know, that, that, yeah, because they're virtuosos. I mean, you know, she's working with the Australian oh, Ballet. And, and, I'm um, not saying that there isn't value in, in virtuosity and actually the discipline of practice is um, is a whole other thing, which, I mean, as a, as a, as an artist, I, I, paint or draw every day and I can see I don't I didn't do it because I wanted to get 
good. I did it because I needed to do it. It was very meditative and important to me to do it. But what's happened is I've seen a progression and and an evolution in what's been created. And I watched my brother who was, he played um, Rebetica. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, he was, he was was a, um, he, what he did, he had a band here in Australia. He wasn't the founder of the band, but he joined it in the eighties from Melbourne Uni, group of Greek guys. And they were playing Grebetica. They were the first people to sort of resurrect it. And then he eventually moved back to Greece because the original Rebetes were all dying. They're all like in their 80s, 70s, 80s and all smokers and, you know, heavy drinkers. And he Mm. wanted to be able to exploit the knowledge and experience they had. So he moved back to Greece as a third-generation Australian who had no Greek and he made a life for himself there, bringing the music to life back in Greece as well and bridging the gap between the Turkish musicians because it was from Asia Minor, the the Turks and the um and and the Greeks. And he he was he was a real traditionalist. He didn't like no there was no um no electrifying anything or whatever he he was really about bringing back that pure expression because it was something that he had been exposed to when my grand my, my grandmother died six days after my brother was born. But my dad had been exposed to the music because of her and it was so the music of their souls and this was my brother's life mission was to help young people also express themselves through that vehicle because it was such a human experience, um, the Greek blues. And 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 this is this was you know I've actually I'll you know there's a recording uh, in my I think it's the third episode of him playing the last thing he ever played which was the night before he died and it's so beautiful it's just so beautiful but um, he was always going to be a musician because he couldn't. He played, we were watching television, watching Get Smart, and he would be playing the violin or strumming a baklama, or he was, it was just how he breathed. So I'm not in any way deriding the virtuoso. I'm just saying that if it, if it doesn't go beyond just the the mechanism, then I kind of wonder about where it resides publicly. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Oh, it's just got a rush of energy hearing uh, about Rebetica. Well, you you actually, there was a young man who played with Heck um, mm. and was sort of like Heck was his mentor and you actually Fort, did. Fort, a, Fort, 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 yeah. Fort, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah. He's quite yeah. a kid. I, I must have met your brother. Well, Heck died in 2012. So oh, okay. that was okay. before, mm. yeah. But, um, mm. yeah, he, like, Forti was um, from when he was very young and Forti's father as well had, was a follower of or devotee of my brother's music and career. So there's been mm. a long connection with Forti and us. Mm. The good, he's a good boy. He's a, he's a wonderful fellow. Yeah, he's <laughs> a privilege. And an amazing, and talk about virtuosos, amazing musician. He certainly is. Yeah. Um, yeah. He and the fact that 
through the crisis and everything in Greece, he's managed to maintain a career. Is is oh, a blessing. Yeah, I'm very so glad to hear doing that. Doing very well. He's doing okay. So very glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. He's he's it's good. Um, yeah. So there you go. There's that. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think we've covered a lot, and and I think oh, what I what I take from take from this is that your creativity is really a means by which you work things out in your own head for yourself. And it happens to go out into the public realm, whether you like it or not. Yeah, it's scary to think. Well, I think it's less damage than if I went the route that I think uh, my genetics or Mm. habits lead me towards. And so I think creating uh, music or, you know, hopefully more pros in the future will um, keep me off the streets uh, because um, you know I'm a, <laughs> an, an angry and a blue person, and, and less so when I can um, yeah. c- can write this stuff. So yeah, I'm glad. But it's been good to talk to you, Sophia. It has, to and about, thank uh, you so much again for your time. I really appreciate it. My I pleasure. hope that you can enjoy a beautiful day where you are, and um, yeah. And um, maybe I'll run into you one day. <laughs> yeah, it's it's my it's my last day at home for for quite a while. It's um, films and and music for the rest of the year. But it's great to see you, Sophia. Oh, well, muzzle off and go muzzle well. Off. Bye, darling. Okay, bye. So there you have it, dear listener. My conversation with the very lovely Tim Rogers, and truly and honestly, that is the stuff that dreams are made of. Tim is disarmingly modest and self-deprecating and I hope he realizes how much he is appreciated for the honesty, the rawness, the effort, the self-reflection, the sharing, everything that he puts out there into the universe as part of his creative effort. I know he said that it's part of his essential process of being a happier and more productive person in the world, but his sharing that with us is of enormous benefit and is greatly appreciated. So so thank you, Tim. I think you're ace, obviously. Now, of course, we get to look forward to the release of his new album. He didn't mention the name of it but I have done some research. It is called Tines of Stars Unfurled and it is going to be in the marketplace on the 24th of February, 2023. So do look out for that. A few things before we wrap up the episode. The first is my thank yous. Thank you to Tim Rogers again for joining me for the chat. Thank you for being on the show to Blue Ant, who have provided me with the magnificent Stream X microphone and Zone X headset, which I use when recording and mixing these things. There's a thank you too to my amazing, talented cousin, Dallas Cosmos, who has written, recorded and produced the song that is my theme good goodbye which comes from his album the memory keys thank you so much dallas your support of this project means more than you know and thank you too to the people who have jumped on board my patreon appeal and are supporting the project through that avenue 
If it's something that you would like to do and something I would love for you to do, you can find all the information you need on my website, which is sofansun.com. There are links in the show notes that will take you, depending on which one you click on, either to my website for information or directly to Patreon. Or if you want to, you can just go straight to the Patreon website and search for Where Art and Grief Meet there. Oh, thank you, listeners. I need to thank you. Thank you for joining me once again. Thank you for the shout-outs, shouts-out? The shout-outs on social media from people who have listened to and enjoyed episodes. I'm really, really thrilled that um, people are getting something out of what I'm putting out there. So, yay. Thank you. And I think that's all. So... Until next time, which should be in a fortnight, it's a good goodbye from me. Where Art and Grief Meet is a Soph and Sun production produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and thank them for their continuing contribution to Australian culture. Soph and Sun wholeheartedly support constitutional recognition for Indigenous and Torres Strait Island people and a treaty.